latest episode of the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson. A little after midnight from up top of Notre Dame Stadium, joined by Matt Fortuna after Notre Dame's 42-26 win over Florida State. Um, the margin maybe didn't surprise me, but the way it played out really did. Um, Notre Dame's offense was incredibly sharp. I thought it was going to be the other way around, and Notre Dame's defense was kind of a step slow early on, grew into the game, which surprised me as well because I thought they were going to be the unit that didn't look like it was off for three weeks but uh, it was the offense that really uh, was outstanding tonight just a weird game all around I can't really think off the top of my head a, a game in recent Notre Dame memory that it reminded me of where it was more dramatic than it needed to be even though you didn't really ever think they were going to lose and they despite them shooting themselves in the foot a number of times especially early um, and then looking pretty much on softball and offense and defensively looking like a team that hadn't played football together in three weeks. Yeah, I mean, Kyron Williams, 19 carries, buck 85, two touchdowns. Chris Tyree, 11 carries, 103, and a touchdown. They ran Ian Book a lot tonight intentionally, nine carries, uh, 58 yards on a score. I felt like he, you know, watching the game, I felt like he rushed for quite a bit more than that. Um, right. And then Javon McKinley, you know, the the beast, as Brian Kelly calls him. Um, I can't, sorry. Yep. There's some words that Brian – like, Brian Kelly speaks the same way pretty much every Tuesday and Saturday, Monday now and Saturday uh, for 11 years. Uh, that was one of the few expressions or adjectives he had where I'm like, wait, who am I, I talking to again? Yeah. It's, and who it, are we talking about? And who are we talking about, I think, is more interesting. Five catches for uh, buck, oh, buck seven. And, I mean, Javon McKinley, if you've sort of followed his career, high four-star prospect came in. Very rarely do you see receivers ever even get to a fifth year, um, let, never mind like contribute significantly during them. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is a player who was essentially, you know, a blocker playing receiver for the first two games of the year. Uh, I think he just had one catch for seven yards on three targets tonight, targeted five times, caught all five of them um, against Asante Samuel, who was allegedly right. a, a very, very good corner. And, <laughs> I mean, Brian, the way Brian Kelly's describing it is like, nobody can guard this guy in the country. And I was like, what is going on here? This is like, this is just not the kind of player you thought Notre Dame had in Javon McKinley. Um, so if this if this is a real thing, you know, if, if they have a receiver to go with uh, getting healthy Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay and his quickness, and obviously you know about the tight ends by now, um, you know, maybe the passing game can be a little bit more than what we thought it could be. So this is all this is all positive stuff for Notre Dame's offense moving forward. On the subject of Brian Kelly passing games in press conferences, we've spent 11 years now listening to him use the exact same adjectives uh, and descriptions of expected plays for players coming back from injuries on Saturdays. We've made the mistake of taking him at his word for 11 straight years <laughs> and not realizing that he never is. I'm not saying he's lying. I think he's just so over-the-top optimistic yes. publicly. And as you could tell, there was no money wagered. But uh, I had Kevin Austin over 15 snaps pregame. Don't think he reached that. Uh, nope. Ben Skronik was supposed to be fine. Did not see him on the field at all tonight. Uh, Pete did have Notre Dame not covering by half point, so he looked smart there. But uh, – we both had Florida State with 10 points. Yeah, I felt very confident the about corner. the under as well, which was like toast by halftime. So uh, not even not even close on that. But, I mean, I think that, you know, Notre Dame is not deep at receiver at all. Essentially, they played five tonight. Uh, and then – but really, they played just three. It was McKinley, Lindsey, and Avery Davis. You know, Lawrence Keyes didn't get into the slot. 
Joe Wilkins and Kevin Austin barely played at all. And, you know, I, I think that you would look at that uh, empirically and, you know, feel like there's a concern there. But when you're going two tight end as much as Notre Dame does and going even three tight end as much as Notre Dame does, and then you're like, well, wait, the third tight end is Michael Mayer and he opened the scoring tonight and is better at what he does than I think what any of Notre Dame's receivers are at what they do, then that's fine. Um, you know, Notre Dame is, if they are going to blow people out or, you know, cr- hit 50 points, it's going to be because they rushed for 300 yards, not because they threw for 450. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that was the best. I mean, I, you could say take out the turnovers, which is like saying, you know, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln has a play. But uh, it, that offense, there was, they looked like they could do whatever they want whenever they want tonight against Florida State. Um, and, and I think you tweet this big game, I think coming in, at least I thought, you know, the offense would be the part that, that you know, has a hard time getting up to speed and, and getting chemistry together after not playing so long. And the defense under Clark Lee was going to be its old usual self against a Florida State team that really didn't show much of a fight through the first three games of the season. Now, hats off to, to Jordan Travis. I mean, he was so much better than any of us had any reason to expect him to be. Um, he was on his feet a lot. He kept plays alive. He, he had that team fighting. He, was, <laughs> he kept that team fighting toward the end, which if you watch Florida State play at all this season, I mean, fight was not the word you would associate with that, really, that program over the last three or four years since Jimbo Fisher left. And I think, you know, moving forward, Florida State might have found something to believe in moving forward. And, and Travis was hurt throughout much of camp in the season, which is why he never really got a shot until – mid-game last week. So I think that threw Notre Dame for a loop a little bit. Um, I I, I wouldn't – it's easy to look at the numbers, look at the stats, look at the final score, and and be a little nervous about Notre Dame's defense, but I I would caution against reading too much into it. Yeah, I'm not. Um, You know, it was was the layoff combined with really a new quarterback where there was not any significant tape on. um, And then maybe they just didn't play that well. So it's – that that was an anomaly. We've seen enough Clark Lee game plans and performances to, you know, this is not something that has really happened before. Frankly, no. Um, I mean, if they if they got that two point conversion, that would have been the highest regular season point total against Clark Lee defense in Notre Dame. Yeah, in in Notre Dame Stadium. Um, uh, well, I, regu- I think regular season altogether, I believe. There was outside of Clemson. Yeah, well, the Michigan game last year. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. But, I mean, a weird weird performance because in some ways, um, you know, if you could compare this game to another one, you know, it – I guess it didn't really remind me. Are you going to say USC last year? No, I was going to go more like, um, you know, it it felt like Florida State – you know, they got off to the fast start and then they couldn't do anything in the second half. It was – you know, you would think that if anyway it would be reversed, like maybe they would have some success in garbage time, and that never really happened. Yeah, so. They did move the ball. I mean, Nerdy finally got an interception to, to stop one scoring yeah, that's drive. True. And it wasn't by Kyle Hamilton, who you also bet on um, coming into this game. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I, they never were a threat, I don't think. I no, mean, I, didn't feel that, you, I didn't feel that there was any doubt Nerdy was going to win this game at any point tonight. I, at halftime, here, here's a fun stat for you. Notre Dame was averaging 12 yards per rush and 11.4 yards per completion. Yeah, they. I mean, Florida State's defensive game plan, I don't know if it was just poorly conceived or they just lack any sort of front seven um, ability at all. But, 
I mean, I haven't seen – I mean, there was a – I think it was Kyron Williams' long touchdown run. Tommy Tremble had nobody to block. He was just sort of escorting him down. You, I mean, it looked like the 2010 Notre Dame-Navy game, um, you know, where – Notre Dame's defense just d- didn't know what was coming and didn't know how to stop it. Didn't um, have a plan B. Yeah, there was no <laughs> Florida State had no plan B because they just got the crap kicked out of them in the on the line of scrimmage by Notre Dame's offensive line. It's you know I think sort of the the two images of the game are Jordan Travis being flipped over by Jeremiah Wusu Cormo and then I think knocked sideways by I want to say Jason Adamalola ultimately gets knocked out of the game in the second half when they go to James Blackman. And then Liam Eikenberg, um, you know, having his eye gouged out and then returning. <laughs> I was wondering how long we get to that. And then just returning to the game. Um, you know, it's uh, it, kind of a, a different way to look at the blind side. But you know, he was, you know, I, I think there's there's something about a toughness factor there where you knocked out their quarterback. They gouged your eye and you continue to play on. Um, that's That I think is probably something that probably the thing that Notre Dame should feel best about right now is they they just beat up Florida State and ultimately that you know even if you're going to be a sloppy tackling team after three weeks off if the other team is just laying on the turf which I feel like there are a lot of Florida State players very slow to get up in the second half um, and I, I think that really speaks to just how physical a football team Notre Dame is well we did get another halftime locker room speech from Brian Kelly broadcast oh, on NBC that. and he said twice Let's go dominate the second half. Uh, so this this new and improved Ra Ra Brian Kelly, who cites beasts and, and other creatures on the field, uh, especially when playing teams from the state of Florida. Uh, I guess they dominated. They won seven to six in the second half. But uh, no, Lee Meikenberg, I think, really embodies. Uh, I mean, if you could take an image to to kind of sum up Notre Dame's performance tonight in the program they think they can be this season. I mean, if they win the Joe Morehead Morehead Joe Morehead Joe Moore Award. <laughs> Again, this year, which you have to think they're among the, the front runners. Moving in a good direction so there, for sure. Um, put masks and eye patches on, on all five uh, figurines there and put it next to the other one from 2017. I mean, I think Mike McGlinchey and Quinn Nelson would be proud of what, uh, what they left behind and instilled in this unit. Uh, and sh- hey, shout out to Chris Water, our, our old friend, who's a, a GA there, and it's clearly had some kind of impact there because that's the biggest difference uh, in personnel for, from last year to this year up front. But I mean, you heard Ian Book talk about them tonight. I mean, Ian Book is a very uh, calm, cool, collected character in front of the, the microphone, in front of the cameras, um, and that was probably as excited as I think I, I've seen him uh, in three years of doing this, just talking about the offensive line and, and talking about them as about how blessed he is to play behind them and how they think they're the best in the country and that you won't get any argument from me tonight. Yeah, I mean, right, that's I, – I wouldn't argue with that at all. I mean, it's uh, it's an incredibly uh, cohesive group. You know, you, you, we talk about, you know, offensive lines and, you know, you see the same picture through ten different eyes or nine eyes in the case of Notre Dame tonight. <laughs> and, I mean, they absolutely did that because, I mean, how many untouched – touchdown runs did they have in the game um you know Williams had one at least one Tyree had one Book had one that's three of the four uh I I just didn't feel like Florida State even could get that close uh to Notre Dame and you know our editors were asking me just to basically give a summation of Notre Dame will be undefeated when Clemson comes here on November 7th um if If they don't all get COVID, and it's I mean, just, yeah, it's just if if the offensive line just plays like this against Louisville 
in Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech, those teams are not going to touch Notre Dame because they're not going to be able to go four quarters with that offensive line. We've gotten the full pit experience through five games <laughs> complete today against our old friend Phil Dracovic. Um And then Louisville, just I, I don't know what to think of them. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe a, a wounded dog is hungriest because uh, that's certainly what Louisville is going into next week. Um, they were what I thought would possibly be the third best team in the ACC this year and don't look <sighs> Not even close, close to that so far. Um, but, so have your guard up, Notre Dame. And, and, you know, Georgia Tech looks better, but I think no one's uh, mistaking them for a threat to be anything – you know, resembling a top tier or upper half ACC team this year. But, you know, it's ACC. I mean, Virginia Tech came back down to earth today uh, defensively. Virginia, uh, without their quarterback for much of the game, uh, looked very ordinary against NC State. Um, it's, you know, it's, you're, Miami you're, came back to earth a little bit. Miami today. came back to earth. I mean, I, I had to write something, you know, through the editors, like you said, with the Clemson game, which was, you know, what do you give me a big takeaway from the ACC um, after tonight? And I'm like, we thought there was a chance to be drama in this league uh, before this weekend. Um, now, I mean, I think I think the Notre Dame-Clemson game November 7th will be the most hyped regular season ACC game in recent memory. Since tonight. Um, yeah, right. Um, but other than that, by the way, there is a line on that game right now on our favorite sponsor, DraftKings, 10.5 Clemson, if you want to get in on that now. Mm. Which is interesting because yeah. I think Clemson I, wins, they win going away. And if they don't win, they don't win. I just don't think it's going to be a close game if they win. Um, but it's – Miami is a team that averaged almost six yards per carry entry tonight and had less than four against Clemson. I mean, that offense could do nothing against that defense. And that's either cause for encouragement or cause for fear if you're Notre Dame knowing that you have a really, really good offensive line and that, you know, if anyone can do it against that Clemson defense, it could probably be this Notre Dame offensive line. Yeah, I mean, you would think that Notre Dame's offensive line is superior to Miami in, in right. basically every position, though. Um, you know, but look, I, I think Notre Dame fans are a little bit gun shy about getting over their skis about a dominant offensive line because in 2017 mm-hmm. they had one and they couldn't run on Georgia and then they got destroyed at Miami. Um, so I, I think people are a little hesitant, but. Um, you know, this is a very talented group. I, this is not, I, you know, that 2017 line was starting a, a redshirt freshman or a, or a true freshman basically rotating a right tackle. This is, uh, you know, Jarrett Patterson is, you know, a junior who started all last year. This this is just such a much more experienced group than that one with a third year starting quarterback. Um, whereas 2017, I think you're you're just trying to manage Brandon Wimbush at that point. Um, you know, Notre Dame by then, whether it's Mayor Tremble, right, a tight end, can you do some different things there? I, th- I thought that Reese's game plan was incredibly creative tonight uh, mm-hmm. in terms of personnel usage. A lot of guys coming in and out, which was a real pain in the butt to chart who was playing in what role. Um, it, and I thought that, you know, the, the creativity with using Braden Lindsay a little bit in the running game, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't super effective, but um, it you know, it at least gives you something else to look at. And they they have a run game that I think suits Tyree and Kyron Williams, their top two backs, incredibly well. And I think both those guys, you know, I, I think that we, you know, we've seen Notre Dame get into some of these games with higher-end defenses, and they just haven't had the speed at running back to, to hang. Um, Dexter Williams a little bit in 2018 against Clemson, but – I mean, you saw Josh Adams sort of broke down, um, you know, was not somebody who was going to make 
you miss necessarily with somebody who's going to take advantage of a great offensive line. Now I feel like they have a great offensive line and a couple of running backs who can make you miss at the second and third level. And that's, that's a significant development, I think, from some of the, the previous uh, Brian Kelly teams. When's the last time they had 200-yard rushers in a game? Uh, you know, I probably should have looked that up before we started recording this podcast, and I, I didn't. I didn't uh, see, no, it's, well, I, not only that, 200-yard rushers who are freshman eligibility. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I never thought I would see that. No, uh, it's, I mean. I, anytime I, soon here. Yeah, I mean, it speaks to how good the offensive line is, right? That, um, you know, and, and really they should have had another. That was, you know, one of the very few times all season where they've got stopped in sort of an and goal or and one or and two yard situation with Ty, Tyree got thrown for a loss or stopped on, on fourth and goal uh, down by the goal line. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, um, there's no secret about what makes Notre Dame go. It's like we can talk about Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, but really it's Eichenberg, Kramer, mm-hmm. Patterson, Banks. Um, you know, and tonight Gibbons got in there a little bit and Banks moved over. But, uh, you know, and defensively, you know, this is something that I think was significant in Brian Kelly's post game is that Cam Hart, Clarence mm-hmm. Lewis, Nick McLeod were all unavailable until Thursday or Friday of last week. So that's why Sean Crawford moved to corner. And even though he had a pick, I think you could see why he's playing safety. He doesn't necessarily have the foot speed all the time to hang with elite um, elite receivers. You know, Florida State's got a bunch of speed there. By the time Clemson comes around, McLeod should be good. Health, you know, Lewis will be good. Uh, and more experienced, and then you know, I thought Tariq Bracy played really well tonight. Um, I think he he would he sort of showed why he has a chance to be Notre Dame's best corner, which was really Nick McLeod through the first two weeks of the season. That was a uh, that was interesting to hear Brian Kelly. Uh, I don't want to say go there, but yeah, go there. You know, mentioned that those guys were out, and it made sense for why we saw what we saw yep. defensively in the second in the secondary tonight. Sean Carroll's got to be the oldest guy to ever have an interception at Notre Dame. <laughs> I would hope um, or think. Um, I did think Brian Kelly. I think Tim Priest, our friend, asked him uh, a question about uh, Ian Buck's deep ball and. Brian Kelly said, I think your observations are right on, which uh, cu- coupled with his uh, his commentary on book on Monday, um, coupled with your live chat last week, which I thought was like 95%, the world is burning, Wednesday and book in a complete uh, pass <laughs> over 20 yards. Like it was like, I, I just feel like I, I, he's obviously not appreciated because I don't really think anyone is while they're in college, but Maybe I'm harping too much on that specific chat, but I just could believe in the middle of a season where Notre Dame just had a two-week pause, the, everyone was freaking out about their third-year starting quarterback. Who's yeah, it's been fine. And it's I, I spent some time this morning going over uh, you know where book ranks among tw- class of 2016 quarterbacks coming in. I looked at the top 50 um, from that group. Only Jalen Hurts will have won more games by the end of their careers. Maybe Shane Bouchelle, depending on how SMU goes this year. Mm-hmm. And then only Jalen Hurts and Dwayne Haskins will have a better winning percentage than Ian Book. So that's a, that's a look at the top 50 quarterbacks coming out of high school that, that year. That includes Justin Herbert. Um, that includes other guys on NFL rosters. Um, you know, I, I, I was 
by far and away Ian Book's best game tonight. Um, you know, he's 16 of 25 for 201, two touchdowns. That line is not going to jump out at you, but I like that he trusted his receivers to go up and try to make plays, McKinley in particular. There was a deep shot to Austin. I just like the more aggressive nature that he took. And, and on top of that, I felt like he was better in, with some of the short stuff too. Um, you know, there was a bad drop by Joe Wilkins. There was a bad drop by Kyron Williams. Um, you know, his stat line could have been better if he got a little bit more help. But overall, I thought he played a good game. And, you know, I asked Book about this post game. You know, that's an offense that hadn't played in three weeks. They sub a ton. Sometimes they go fast. Sometimes they don't. Pretty much penalty free. I mean, there were, it was, you know, they had the, the Kyron Williams fumble, but in terms of mistakes offensively, not a lot tonight. I feel like it was a, it was a pretty clean game, and Book had a lot to do with that. But what'd you do with your game ball? You know, I, I am trying. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go on Notre Dame's Twitter right now, and you will see <laughs> an actual image of Pete Sampson accepting a game ball from Brian Kelly. You know, it's Rob, get him on the pod. Yeah, though. so Rob Hunt and Matt Leiser got the game balls tonight. Rob Hunt is the head trainer. Matt Leiser, team physician. Um, you know, That's why you got such a good parking spot today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they had thirty-nine guys out when they would have played Wake Forest. They had two out today. Um, they got their stuff turned around. Uh, Rob Hunt as you and I are, is, is quite bald. And, um, you know, with a no mask... one's saying he looks like me. They're only no. saying he looks like you. With, yeah, with a mask on... It's the glasses, I, yeah. I can, and glasses, I can totally see it. Um, you know, I thought that uh, it was it was very gracious of Notre Dame to give me a game ball after the you know, some good stories that I wrote this week. So, I, you know, I really appreciate that. And uh, I'll, I'll stick this on my desk and maybe I'll show it uh, on our next edition of The Shamrock if we, uh, if we do, like, sort of a, a V-cast video show down the road much like ricky bobby you never let me win uh, <laughs> you get all the glory here and i'll get you in charlotte yeah. for uh i guess for that wake forest game in that acc title game it was interesting i mean javon mckinley was asked about uh coming together the last couple of weeks and he said my first thought was i don't know if i'm ever gonna play football again uh which was interesting to hear him say that out loud just because i mean i know it's kind of a worst case scenario but i think it speaks to kind of the uncertainty and the kind of mental instability that that comes with playing football playing for a college football team in 2020 i mean it just every week it brings something new to you and you just don't know what's going to happen next and it's mm-hmm. most of it is out of your control and uh, so deserve game ball for whoever that was that looked like pete sampson yeah <laughs> what uh I didn't get to watch much of Miami Clemson, and because we're evaluating Notre Dame essentially on a one-game season, how good was Clemson tonight? I only saw the box score at the end that they they basically didn't give Miami much hope other than when Clemson was kicking a field goal. Yeah, the Clemson had three kicks blocked, so Notre Dame tried to force some field goals. One of which it was funny, Davo Sweeney, and, and you know we all said, uh, "Oh, we'll have we'll be watching Miami Clemson and keep it one eye on Notre Dame Florida State." Now, Florida Dame Florida State was for better or worse a much better, more competitive game. I mean, Miami never had a chance. They're only uh, – I, I think they got the ball in Clemson territory maybe three times through the first three quarters. Uh, they blocked a 61-yard kick and returned it all the way at the buzzer at halftime. And Dabo immediately in the halftime interview said, that's one of the stupidest decisions I've ever made as a coach. Um, I don't know why I tried that. And then the same guy was Bubba Bolden, who uh, returned another field goal all the way back for a touchdown. So, uh, Or excuse me, not returned all the way back, blocked another kick. I'm sorry. Um yeah, it, it, it looked – Clemson looked like Clemson. And Miami looked like a team that still has a ginormous gap between them and the best in the ACC, which is kind of par for the course the last six years here in the ACC. 
hopefully Notre Dame for, for entertainment purposes if nothing else can can close that gap and, and put a scare into Clemson and, and live up to the hype of that game that we're already hyping up four weeks from now um, but I mean it was drama free um, it, yeah it just wasn't wasn't a good game <laughs> yeah I was surprised I mean from Notre Dame's purposes you won you prefer Clemson won the game because I'd much rather number one Clemson come here than number four Clemson and then also, you know, Miami's going to be, you know, they have some pieces to pick up after this. And if they lose the second game, then, you know, that, that basically makes the Notre Dame-North Carolina game a play-in for the ACC championship, regardless of what happens uh, with Clemson up here, um, you know, on, on November 7th. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, tough. Did, did, I, Dier, sorry, Derek King went 12 of 28. 121 yards, two touchdowns, and most of that was at the end. Yeah, I, I mean, just that was, that was a Heisman contender, I right? That in air quotes, coming into the night, it's and he looked like not good. Yeah, it's just it's difficult because I I don't want to judge Notre Dame every game on like was this good enough to beat Clemson or not? Um, but offensively, it, it was tonight. Defensively, it wasn't. But I I think that I have. I probably have more faith in the defense snapping back into form than the offense maybe continuing on like this. Um, you know, for Notre Dame to, to really push Clemson and, and take down Clemson here, you know, I think the offensive line is going to have to play against Clemson the way that it did against Florida State. And then defensively, they're just going to have to be a lot better, um, which, again, our, our faith in, in Clark Lee should never be questioned on the Shamrock. Um, that's why I think in some ways tonight was – that, that was probably maybe the biggest surprise that Notre Dame's defense didn't play well because we're used to them always playing well against anybody other than as long as you're not playing in a monsoon and you're not playing Trevor Lawrence, they're automatic, and, and they weren't tonight. No, and, I mean, we'll have this conversation. I think we'll have it again after next week because I don't see Louisville doing much. I mean, do, do they need to be pushed more um, externally? Hmm. And I, I'm sure part of that is Brian Kelly's halftime message, right? Like, can't let our foot off the gas pedal. Like, you know, anyone can beat us, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to instill a message that, like, they're not playing who they're lining up against on Saturdays. They're playing up to and against a standard that ultimately is going to meet them right in the face November 7th. But do they need – Pittsburgh at least has a defensive line that can make the offensive line on Notre Dame work for it. Even yeah. if Pittsburgh probably won't – probably definitely won't win that game. But do they need to be pushed more? Um, I mean, there's nobody to push them. So it's, you know, whether the answer is yes or no, it, you know, there's nobody there. there there's nobody on the schedule that's going to push them. I mean, Pittsburgh could be a tricky game just because Pittsburgh does things like that to people, um, Notre Dame in particular. But, you know, it's, I, I tweeted this out last night. Like, Notre, after uh, Georgia Tech beat Louisville, if, Notre Dame's first four opponents of the season at that moment were 0-10 against Power 5 competition. And if Notre Dame had played Wake Forest and beaten them, that would have been 0-13. So, they, I, you know, the ACC, maybe we've miscast it as having, like, a great uh, middle class. Maybe it's Clemson at the top, and then you have three really good teams in Notre Dame, Miami, and North Carolina, and the rest of it is just the same as it ever was in the ACC. It's just kind of direct um, it, 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 it the ACC went back into character this weekend I mean if I have a big college football takeaway it, it's that I mean very little about this conference 
outside of Clemson makes sense. I mean, usually the teams that you think are not mm-hmm. going to play well play well, and vice versa. I mean, NC State ups, upset Virginia on the road today, and that game was even close. North Carolina didn't really look all that great its first two games and went out there and put up 50-something points today against a Virginia Tech team that had looked really good uh, coming into the season. Duke, uh, which was one of the worst rushing teams in all football, ran for almost 400 yards today at Syracuse to get their first win of the season. So uh, very little about this conference makes sense. You hope if you're Notre Dame you don't kind of take on that character and get dragged into the muck of it because every week brings a new surprise. Uh, there was interesting, and I noticed this live, and someone sent me a text while watching it um, during all the, the university commercials on NBC during uh, breaks in the action tonight. Uh, whenever the end would say University of Notre Dame, you'd see very, very, very fine print, proud member of the ACC. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's – I think that's new. I don't know if that's new. I wasn't paying as close attention last time. Um, but we'll see how proud they are uh, based on how everyone else plays this year. I mean, look, it, Notre Dame – I'll double check this, but I think they beat 26 unranked teams in a row. They're, Louisville's not going to be ranked. Pittsburgh's not going to be ranked. Georgia Tech's not going to be ranked. Boston College is not going to be ranked. Wake Forest is not going to be ranked. Syracuse is not going to be ranked. It's Clemson and North Carolina. Um, you know, so that gets you to nine and two worst case scenario. But really, it's you got to get one of those, and then you're playing in Charlotte. So it's I don't know the ACC schedule. It's this was I think. This was a conversation we probably had on this podcast when the schedule came out. It's like how easier it Notre was. Dame join a conference, you cowards! Wait, no, your schedule is easier now. Um, you know, Notre Dame would be pushed more if they were playing if they had played Wisconsin last weekend. Notre Dame would be pushed more if they were playing Stanford uh, this weekend or next. So it's um, you know it's it's not Notre Dame's fault that they're not going to be pushed here. This is they're just playing who's the ACC has given them, and and ultimately that's. Until you get to Clemson, you're going to find out a hell of a lot about Notre Dame against Clemson, which is weird to say because that game's not until November. But that's just that's 2020 for you, as Ian Book uh, to paraphrase Ian Book after the game. Like, who knows what's going to happen? It's 2020. Uh, before we go, quick uh, shout out note: uh, NBC, very nice tribute to Paul Ambrowski, producer and legendary Sergeant Tim McCarthy. Uh, the Indiana uh, State Police, who both passed away uh, in between Notre Dame's last games. I think, Pete, they did a tribute to Sergeant McCarthy in the stadium. They did, before and in the uh, you know the, the obvious spot between the third and fourth quarters. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. I mean, I've been covering Notre Dame forever. Um, that's just sort of part of the furniture here, Sergeant McCarthy, between uh, the third and fourth quarter. And, and as you and I are both – uh, infatuated with terrible puns, so he's so near and dear to our heart. What'd you say, No Bauer? Was that your tweet? Yeah, no. Yeah, he would be his, proud. Yeah, I, as I said, I'll show myself L- out. L- Liam, like, Liam one Eichenberger. Oh, <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. Uh, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, you could say that he's an excellent pupil of Jeff Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, folks. Yeah, boy. Don't follow our bets, but follow our puns. Yeah, that, that might be a good time to wrap up uh, this episode of the Shamrock, Matt, unless you have uh, a final pun or a final thought on uh, Notre Dame and or Clemson tonight. I'll see you Thursday. All right, excellent. Well, that's it for uh, this episode of the Shamrock following Notre Dame's kind of funky, interesting, still kind of route of Florida State, 42-26. They moved to 3-0 and on the season. Uh, really the biggest bounce back is from COVID. And uh, move forward to Louisville. Pittsburgh, 
Georgia Tech before Clemson uh, comes on November 7th, which we will be talking about quite a bit in the next month. So until our next Thursday podcast, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of The Shamrock.